inclusive design is good design. Because if you've designed something to be inclusive for someone in a wheelchair, someone pushing a buggy, someone with visual impairment, if you design with them in mind, you're then going to make it really easy for everyone else. Minnie Moll, Chief Executive of Design Council, has had a varied and interesting career. We wanted to talk to Minnie to get her thoughts and insights on the role of creativity and design in a modern business environment, which we did, but we unpacked so much more. I particularly enjoyed hearing her thoughts and experiences on the role and the importance of coaching and mentoring and leadership on company culture, the challenges for women in their careers, particularly after having children, and the intersection of design and digital and where the future of that is going. We cover a lot of ground and I know that you'll enjoy this episode of the Wonderful People podcast. Hello everybody and welcome to another episode of the Wonderful People podcast with the wonderful Phil Jones and a very special guest as always. And we have Minnie Mole with us today, who is the CEO of the Design Council, amongst many other things. And really, really excited for today's guest. We've got some really great topics to explore. And uh, yeah, so welcome, Minnie. Thank you. Good to be here. And and hello, Phil. How are you? Uh, Not too good, as you know, as your team stuffed my team yesterday. So we shall wander on quickly from that one, Dan. (laughs) Moving swiftly on, yeah. Already the first question's a cracker because just prior to recording, Minnie sent us an email with actually two, uh, well, I won't go spoil it. I'll tell you about the email in a minute. So Minnie, if you were to be stuck in a lift with someone, who would it be and why? Okay, so this is really easy for me because I actually have got a life-size cardboard cutout of David Attenborough. Uh And I... He would be my choice for so many reasons. So, I mean, let me list some of them. So, apart from his absolute extraordinary, well, his absolutely extraordinary career. I mean, it's been a soundtrack to my life, it feels like, as a kid growing up. His voice, his passion, his excitement around the natural world, right up till to date, Design for Planet, Mission. So, his book... The um, A Life on Our Planet and the film. If people haven't read or seen that, you must. It is just absolutely so powerful, so compelling. But he's also funny, charming, handsome, twinkly eyed, and more. <laughs> I thought you were talking about Phil Jones there. Since you got so handsome. <laughs> <laughs> no that's brilliant no Minnie in this email I referenced uh, a, a minute ago there were two life-size cutouts and David Attenborough definitely was one who was the other okay the other one is uh, Daniel Craig and at a recent birthday um, I was given both of those life-size cutouts who sort of obviously what you know, spent the evening with us for the birthday, and uh, and actually David Attenborough has made guest appearances behind me in certain online team meetings. Brilliant. I just sort of stand him up behind me. So number one choice is David Attenborough. Number two would be Daniel Craig. And you could, ha- if you could have them both together in the lift, that's an exciting lift. That would be good. That would be good. Yeah, Thank there you. we go. Okay. There we go. We can make that happen. No, we can't. We never promised that. Um, so just, uh, I mean, we've got so many questions, Minnie, and I just kind of want to sort of 
I suppose talk a little bit about what led you to the role where you are now. And I suppose tell us a little bit about your early introduction to design and, and who inspired you. How did you end up where you are now? Oh, so so my degree, I did a creative arts degree. But, you know, long before that, this is an interesting question. I remember from really early on just things, what things looked like really kind of mattered. And I think from an early age, I was drawn to kind of intriguing things, beautiful things. And one thing that struck me as inspiration, I was probably about 12, maybe a bit more. And my, for some reason, my parents had the best of life, Life magazine, the American magazine Life. And there was this great big coffee table hardback book, the best of. And I remember pouring over it. And if just it was the graphics, it was that notion of design and communication. So it's just really interesting, isn't it? We, how we don't know how things are going to unfurl. But the first part of my career was then in advertising. And design is obviously a big part of advertising. And I was interested in the words as well. But I think that whole thought of a, a picture paints, you know, a thousand words. Um, and just that notion, I, I'm, I'm just shows how old school I am. I grew up in advertising when you, your 48 sheet poster was the, one of the core pieces because it had to be less than eight words, really was the distillation of the campaign idea and very much had a kind of a, a design power to it. So, yeah, designing communication was actually what inspired me first. Sounds like you're in the right job now then. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. And I mean, and then I think what I then, um, years in advertising, but with design studios in-house as well, and then innovation. Very lucky to work at a brilliant innovation company, What If? And we obviously had our own in-house studio and prototyping and we are, we call it realness that idea idea when you're iterating ideas make it real as early as possible so you've got something to respond to uh, uh, and play with and then at design council actually place is an, a really important part and I traveled a lot uh, I traveled for a year before I went did my degree I traveled for a year after my degree and actually architecture you know, different buildings, different architecture always inspired me. Brilliant. Brilliant. Um, career highlights I'm going to come to. Uh, you've been hugely successful in the career, working as Chief Executive Gerald Retail in Norwich, uh, their award-winning department store, Chief Executive of the East of England Co-op, and Exec Director of Marketing at Notcuts Garden Centres, and now you're Chief Executive of the Design Council. What have been your proudest career moments, Minnie? Oh, so can I, uh, there are some really proud moments there. Can I go back a bit? So mm. this came up the other day in a conversation with someone. I am hugely proud of my part in the Black Current Tango, St. George film, which, proud to say, been won lots of awards, um, was named one of the you know, best hundred ads of all time. You know, for, if anyone remembers it, Ray Gardner, Black Current Tango, he ends up on the White Cliffs of Dover, challenging a French foreign exchange student to a fight. <laughs> uh, hugely, hugely proud of my work on that. 
really different things at the co-op incredibly proud of the community work that we did particularly we had a big campaign to be the leading dementia friendly retailer you know the east of england co-ops are very much those in suffolk um essex norfolk and really often very rural stores you know in villages and small towns and and dealing with lots of older people with all kinds of challenges but including people living with dementia and we trained all of our colleagues to be dementia friends, did lots of other changes in the store, and Alzheimer Society named us lar- Large Business of the Year against a whole load of the huge, great, big, you know, the, the big grocers. So really proud of that. Um, was there something with Prince Charles as well during that period? That, what it, was there, that was, there was something with Prince Charles in that period. Yeah, it was, it was at that time uh, that I was very honoured to be made one of Prince Charles's ambassadors for responsible business in the East of England. And yeah, that did involve kind of um, awards and events and meeting with him. And uh, yeah, the whole business in the community organisation still very much going. And and I, I love that intersection between business, community, third sector, because I've always been a passionate believer that business not only can but must do well and do good. Uh, tell us a little bit about what the Design Council does and some of your plans for this year. Yeah, so the Design Council is the National Strategic Advisor on Design for government and, and other bodies. We're the only organisation that that actually sits across all of the design sector. You know, you've got different organisations within sectors, but we, we sit across across all of it and very much our role is to champion design the importance of it the value of it so lots of proving the evidence celebrating the brilliant etc and last september we introduced our new mission which is design for planet and essentially it's because you know we have got a real crisis on our hands design has played its part as has advertising, uh, you know, but design has absolutely played its part in getting us to where we are now and kind of to the brink, if you like. And so it has got to be a key part of, addre- of addressing the climate crisis. So we launched our Design for Planet mission. We did a big first big event in November in support of COP. And then this year, the, I guess the, the three biggies for this year, we're going to do another big festival in, in November throw down to the team is it's got, got to be even better than last year we know from designers who've given us feedback on this that what they'd love to see from us is a design council kind of skills and resource hub because lots of designers want to do the right thing but it's really hard to keep up with what materials you're meant to use life cycle analysis how to make things you know fit into the circular economy so we want to build a skills and resource hub. And then I think the other whopper is that every three to four years, we publish a big piece of research called the design economy. And for the first time this year, it's going to be the actual financial um, impact on the economy, but also the social and environmental. So we want to really turn the volume up on actually evidencing to everyone, particularly commissioners, the value of design 
when it comes to planet. Well, do you have any of those figures at the moment, or is that all to come? We've got some real early um, figures that have come in already. Um, I can give you a couple of headlines. The first yeah. one is, and they're just the economic value. The, the data we were using was 85.2 billion GVA per year delivered by the design sector. That's gone up um, to 97 billion wow. per year. And actually, it's also grown in the number of people in the sector. That's also gone up. It's gone up from 1.69 million people in the sector to 1.79 million people in the sector. Um, so it's growing and it's actually got higher growth than a lot of other sectors. So there's going to be some good news stories uh, when we launch it in June. Brilliant. Looking forward to that. Yeah, no, that's really excellent. But just kind of moving that conversation around design on, I mean, we're obviously a, a digital agency that really focuses heavily on you know, UX design, digital customer experience, online campaigns, content, all of those things which involve design and, and advertising you mentioned a couple of times. I mean, obviously you're someone who works across the industry, as you said. Looking at you know, the last two or three years, looking at your mission, looking at where you're going, as a digital kind of agency, are there influences we should be considering or are there things that we should be looking at in, in the agency space to do with this? Okay, so um, I don't know if you do. You guys know Mike Montiero? Have you heard of? I Mike know the Montiero? name. Yeah. So he and I actually read this fairly recently. I didn't really know much about him. An American designer, very much sort of digital and UX, and he's written this punchy, brilliant book called Ruined by Design. And he really, he, the whole kind of premise of it is about the responsibility of being a designer. And with, uh, you know, there's a lot of power and with it comes responsibility. And he really does give some of the large digital organizations a real kicking because right. of the ethics, because of the ethics, because of the power in coding and algorithms, the dark art, if you will, you know, it can be really used for customer good, but it also can really be used to manipulate the customer to manipulate the customer, manipulate their data. And so I think there's a very interesting challenge for the digital space. To some extent, it's still been a bit the Wild West. True. I mean, if you look at some of, you know, big social media, if you look at, you look at say, Twitter and how things have been, uh, you know, those social media platforms have been uh, at points become quite toxic. And some of the other things that have been revealed, I think there's a big issue there for digital design uh, to look at itself and 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 have more of an eye on ethics and self-regulation. And in terms of the digital you know sector within design itself I mean I'm assuming from your research and from things that that you see that it is a it's a hugely fast growing sector though right? Yeah. Yeah. And in fact that not surprising of all of the growth areas that have been knocked it up to now, you know over over um, over 1.9 million is is um, digital. So digital now in the new data, 900,000 of those designers working in digital. So it's huge. It's really huge. Amazing. Brilliant. Yeah. Um, should businesses be more conscious of how design and digital impacts on their customers' experience? Yeah, I re yeah, definitely, <laughs> uh, definitely. And I think it's that, um, 
I think I, I don't think you can do too much testing because, you know, for any brand that has a digital, you know, a largely digital interface interface with its customers, you really want to delight, make it easy, make it intuitive. How many websites do we all? I mean, if you if the three of us just sat and listed the websites that we find a real pain to use or the processors, because it's not intuitive, it's not simple, I have to go back. You know, I think there's a lot of digital interaction that is still hugely disappointing and it just doesn't need to be it just doesn't need to be so you know there's a real design thing here generally isn't there which is about being customer centric and listening to multiple stakeholders and actually one of the things we often talk about at design council because we um, we really really see it as our role to focus a lot on inclusive design inclusive design is good design because if you've designed something to be inclusive for someone in a wheelchair, someone pushing a buggy, someone with visual impairment, if you design with them in mind, you're then going to make it really easy for everyone else. And I think there's a yeah. certain amount of that that could actually be um, really used as a lens as well for digital design. Yeah. Nice one. Are you enjoying our podcast? Remember to subscribe, share and leave us a review. Many, you were voted Vistage Business Leader of the Year and one of the most 100 most inspirational women in Suffolk and Norfolk. So what advice would you give to women that want to further their career as an industry leader? And what are the challenges that women face today? Do you know, the thing I find myself saying to other women, because I try to support and mentor and coach as many women as I can, one of the key things is get a coach and or mentor. Because you wouldn't expect to progress and win in sport without training. And I think your career is exactly the same. It's true for true for men as well. So get a coach, mentor, and particularly a coach who can really help women because we do tend to suffer from imposter syndrome still, I think more than men. So it can really help you with that stuff and help you navigate your way through. Without question, the biggest issue still is that women have the babies. Women are the ones that give birth and have the babies. And more often than not, it, it's, it's getting more spread now, that more often than not, um, they maybe have more time off after having um, a baby to, 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 for childcare. And it can really knock your career sideways. It really can, depending how long you're out. To come back in, you sometimes come back and you've been sidelined or uh, or not backwards. And nowhere near enough organisations do that well. Don't support women well enough dur- during that process. In your, in your case, uh, it was twins in your case, wasn't it? It was. And I, I, uh, <laughs> it was. And I will never forget my chief exec at the time. Um, at HHCL, at agency. And I said to him, oh, I'm pregnant. And you could see he sort of, I think, I don't think he said, oh, shit, but his face said, oh, shit. And it was like, oh. And then I just grinned and said, yeah, but it's going to be really efficient because it's twins. And he did perk up. You could see he was kind of thinking, oh, well, she'll only be out the once, so that's going to be quite helpful. <laughs> so it was, it was efficient. I'm not giving that as advice to women have twins necessarily. Have twins. But it, <laughs> For me, it did only disrupt once. But I, oh. but truly, we've got to give more support. And there's actually something I'm thrilled about this, something we're just about to pilot 
at um, Design Council is we've had a lovely little spate of Design Council babies and we've just added in a benefit, which is baby massage for parents when they're, you know, of, of young of babies. And so um, we've actually got a fantastic company who are going to actually offer online baby massage workshops for them. And that my intention on that is that those women feel valued, still being valued and supported while they're in their maternity leave with their baby and just feeling connected to us. You know, we haven't forgotten about them while they're at home. That's great. Brilliant. That, that brings me to the question on company culture. Because that, that's very much part of it. Uh, you've quite literally worked in the best place to work in the UK, which is at uh, your time at What If, which was uh, a leading innovation company. Uh, how has this influenced your own leadership skills? Oh, do you know, there was a phrase at What If, which was steal with glee. Just that idea of steal, steal with glee, ideas, things from anywhere, but make sure that they work and fit for you. I love that. And boy, have I stealed with glee from, from Design Council. Um, one of the things I uh, believe passionately is actually around behaviours, around innovation and design. And one, a, a lovely piece of language at What If was about greenhousing and training, coaching your people to be able to greenhouse which is that point when ideas are uh, are tender, young and tender. They need light, gentle water and sunshine. They do not need anyone to stamp on them. And so that whole notion of really people being able to bounce ideas around in a room when they're greenhousing the idea, not blocking them or trampling them. And I think quite often when cultures struggle with building an innovation or design-led culture, it's because they're not addressing the behaviours. You can put all the processes in place. You can put your R&D lab in. You can do all of it. But if your people don't have that respectful, collaborative greenhousing behaviour, it won't thrive. No, that, that's, that's brilliant. And, and I suppose I'm going to pick up on it as an agency again, kind of, you know, we we have to spend our lives collaborating and collaborating with in-house marketing teams. You're trying to understand business goals and design goals. And we're often working with partnership agencies, the creative agencies, event PR agencies. We're often working with them. You're kind of, you're trying to bring together so many different approaches, mindsets, outcomes, sometimes egos, you know, sometimes people's opinions. You know, and and for us, that's one of our biggest challenges, but also one of our biggest passions, because then when you get it right, you create something great. You create something that's better than it would have been if you just did it yourself. So I love the idea of what you were sharing there. What sort of, in your experience, where have you seen collaboration work? You know, have you got an example where you can say, do you know what, that was something that really just, it just worked? Yeah, and it just came to me, and this is actually a huge Uh, pride point as well when I was at Gerald very Harvey Nicks type department store and seven other seven other stores fantastic heritage brand uh, that also had at one was at one point the largest printing company um, in all of the UK had a real heritage Mm -hmm. you know uh, in printing so really quickly this was beautiful we I wanted us to launch an own brown food range Clearly, it had to be beautiful packaging design. It was all going to be local Norfolk food. Worked with a, I have to give them a shout out, 
brilliant design agency in Norwich called The Click. We then got a company called The Food Partners, who do lots of food development and innovation, but also have a view about packaging design, etc. We then had to get all these local producers from across Norfolk and our own in-house design team. It was a dream team. I mean, it was just a dream team. And here's the gorgeous, gorgeous bit to share with you is... In the brief was the, we had this amazing printing heritage and the Gerald Print Museum is in Norwich and it's got all these amazing print print machines, racks and racks of gorgeous old type, you know, beautiful old unique types. So, and I love this spirit of Bobby, the designer at the click. Here's what we ended up doing. We got a load of the kind of twinkly eyed old boys that used to work in the print works who... Uh, I'm one of those. (laughs) (laughs) You would have loved this, Phil. You would have loved it. So we got a whole load of those who volunteer at the museum. Bobby and his other designer went in. They spent a day getting out type, printing them, playing with them, and chose all the letters they were going to use, initial letters, which the actual prints that the guys did there and then that day were the letter, uh, the type letters that were used on the front of all of the packaging. Because each one would just have one letter, J for jam you know m for marmalade and it was just a beautiful collaborative effort and a dream for anyone who's into typography and and it won an award it won a gold at the fresh um, awards oh wow brilliant i love that well great story now i'm gonna i'm just gonna pick up on that and i'm gonna put you know the other side of the coin and talk about, you know, we talk about design, we're talking about human interaction, we're talking about, and I fully agree with it, there's just the power of understanding that human behavior and human interaction design too, and technology should empower that. Yeah. Uh, where do you, or what's your opinion, and where do you sort of see the role of AI in that? You know, because technology is beginning to really move that way, and that's beginning to drive a lot of the things that we're talking about. Yeah, so so this, um, can I do a quick VR point on this and then come on to AI? Yes, so I think yeah. one of the VR, you know back to that thing about realness and prototyping? Yeah. So, you know, back at What If, we would be mocking up packs of things for people to, rather than just, just, you know, they could relate to it more. So I think there's a really interesting opportunity for VR um, to get lots of non-designer people in a community to be able to look at what their new train station might be like or their high street or... It's a really good way to be able to get them to see something much more tangible that they can then respond to. So there's a piece there. Um, I think the AI piece I find more challenging. I find more challenging to kind of really see where it's going to work really well and, and less well. And I think there's the bits, you know, there's the bits where it really needs to be human, and there's the bits where AI. Will be will be really powerful. Yeah, and I, and I think obviously that's largely unscoped at the moment, isn't it? I think it's we're moving towards a, a state of of automation and kind of an element of of what is what deemed to be real AI. But I think the role of design and, and people like yourself is so important to keep championing the humanity of it, the behaviours of it, that it's humans interacting with humans because ultimately that's the planet we live in, rather than a technology you know we don't you know we don't live in a, a future that without people which i think you know is very dystopian but it, i think that what you've been talking about earlier is super important for that yeah yeah for sure and i think i think you know back then there's a whole piece here about the creative industries really yeah. is that 
there's some research that came out recently saying that actually businesses, what is the thing you most want right now? or One of the things you're most struggling with. And they want creative problem solvers. I mean, a lot of people right. are struggling with recruitment full stop. You know, we've got an issue going on at the moment about recruitment. What do I really want to need in my business? I need creative problem solvers. And they're not yeah. saying I need technology to do that. I'm, you know, they're on their own um, digital transformations. But creative problem solvers in the way that a human brain can because the yeah. nature of the problems are so different yeah brilliant i i completely agree with that and, and kind of linking that into sort of something else i wanted to chat to you about was that sense of in your own leadership you know you know how have you know how have you combined or what do you see the role of that creating problem solving in leadership you know because for us you know we have this tension as an agency of always trying to bring together creativity and technology two very different disciplines very different mindsets bring it together to solve problems that's what we do yeah how have you sort of seen that in your own leadership and your own development over the years so one of the things i've been acutely aware of as i sort of ended you know from when i started first became a chief exec is how few chief execs have got a marketing or, or, or design background. Right. An enormous number of chief executives were a finance director before. Right. And no disrespect to any finance directors out there, but I actually think we need to see far more creative thinkers, creative problem solvers as chief executives because I think having the understanding of brand the understanding of sort of design thinking in terms of uh, of that kind of stakeholder engagement, that listening to many people, inclusivity, um, key. And I'd certainly from people I've worked with have said, certainly people in marketing teams or designers internally, uh, have loved the fact that there's someone who gets it at the top. Because very often a lot of that stuff is seen as, um, is seen as fluffy, or not so important. So, so for me, I think it, there's another thing I think it's really, really linked to is vision. You yeah. know, and I, and, and I think that good leaders have to have vision. You have to have vision and then you have to clarity and the ability to communicate that vision to your people and bring them with you. And, and that's one of the things that design does. Design is about vision, visioning new ways of doing things, new possibilities. Yeah. And for you, Dan, that's where, you know, digital, yes, is quite sort of binary. It's quite hard as an executional skill and tool, but it's about the future and future possibilities. Yeah, no, that's right. And I think that's super powerful, isn't it? I, I think as well, just a couple of things to pick up on there. You mentioned, you kind of mentioned leadership a couple of times, um, you know, throughout that answer. Now, I know one of the things that, you know, you, you're doing to address this is the mentoring and coaching. And I also, you know, I, I love that myself. I, I'm a sort of mentor a group of young entrepreneurs. And it's a huge passion of mine because I think that, you know, if I, uh, you know, I think we can all testify this, but if I knew now what I knew 15 years ago, yeah. I might have done, well, I would have done things very differently. How do you, tell us about your coaching experience, coaching experiences. Has that both sides, one of being coached, do you have a coach, do you like coaching? And two, what do you think about the role of coaching others? Mm. So, yeah, I have a coach that I have been paying for for several years. <laughs> and without question, um, that has absolutely helped me through my last several job moves. 
And there's wow. a phrase that she uses, which is about driving your own bus. And actually, if you really start, are you driving your own bus or is someone else driving it? Your boss, your, your mum, your friends, you know, you have to be driving your own bus and you have to know where you're trying to drive it to. And so I've got much, much better in the last kind of 10 years in particular, really having a plan. I, I very much have a plan of where I'm heading to and, and what I'm wanting to achieve and when. So, yes, emphatically, I have my own coach. And I then got to a point where I've actually been privileged to have lots of brilliant training and coaching throughout my career, really. So I decided I actually wanted to qualify as a coach. So I am a, a qualified transformational coach and I love it. I've I've kept one client on to keep my hand in <laughs> over the last year at Design Council because I've had lots on my plate. Uh, but I do the odd little one-off sessions for people when they need it. But I would love uh, in time to have more space to do it. And I, yeah, I love it. It's so valuable. Brilliant. So that's something, you know, when, when, the, when you know, many years time when the twilight years come, is that something you'd like to invest more, more time and energy in? Yeah, I really, really would. And it's it, one of the things about coaching that's because people still ask me, well, you know, what is it exactly? And what, at a really simple level, when else do you have an hour of someone who is non-judgmental listening to you intently and creating a space for you to just think about what you want and to explore? Because our friends and partners may have the very best intention for us, but they're going to have a bias. Very often that bias might be, oh, you don't listen to him any, you know, oh, you just leave there or it's all their fault. They often will say all say things wanting to support you, but it's not often the most helpful. So at a really right. simple level, it is just the undivided attention of someone who is skilled at giving you space to explore things and, and help you identify things you want to have happen in your life and how you're going to make them make that happen. Brilliant. And kind of, you know, we've spoken a lot about the, your role in leadership and coaching and, and that sort of thing in a work context. But I know often when you're on that journey of, of kind of leadership and development, you need your own space, need your own thoughts and your own kind of ways of sort of almost like defragging sometimes and learning, you know, and being able to sort of, you know, look at things afresh. What does is, what is Mini do outside of work? What, what keeps your creative juices going? So... One thing I did start in COVID and I love is yoga. I'd always, right. I'd always thought from a distance, oh, yeah, I'll do yoga one day. And, oh, I wish I'd started earlier because it is so much, it's, apart from it making me a bit bendier than I was, it is so much about the breath. There is a kind of a spirituality to it as well, if you want there to be. I... I'm definitely meditating when I'm doing it because I'm just so focused on actually trying to hold the position. There is nothing else going on in my head. <laughs> it's So I find it really med meditative. So I really, really love yoga. I'm loving that. And one of the other things I do, I haven't done for a while, I've got a 1953 vintage Little Grey Fergie tractor. Really? I have. Wow. She's little Annie. That's so cool. She's absolutely gorgeous. So I, there's a big particular breast cancer um, tractor run that I do each year, um, but then get her out and bomb around the 
garden and the tracks near my home. That's brilliant. I wasn't expecting that. <laughs> now, Minnie, I, I sat next to you at the Podge Lunch this year, which was, uh, no, last year. Actually, not this year. It was last year. And, and it turns out that we both have a bloke in common <laughs> who happens to support Everton. Don't, don't, shh. <laughs> and he's rather a creative type, an art director. And Dan, you've only ever known me as an old fella. So you were, this was in the days when I played football rather than watching football. One of my teammates, who was uh, a really funny scouser and not a bad footballer either, is Minnie's husband. Right. Which is <laughs> which I found out over lunch as we were chatting. She said, I think you might know my husband, Mark Riley. Yeah. I know yeah. Mark. Of course I do. <laughs> so those, were, those were great days. So and he's given you two beautiful twins who are identical. Well, yes, we've got identical twin girls, Daisy and Scarlett, um, who Lovely. surprise, surprise, you know, did fashion degrees. Uh, very, very creative, very talented. Clearly, get it all from their father. Um, <laughs> yeah, hugely, hugely proud. Mark is still playing football. He's playing in a veterans team. So is just he? before he saw Everton getting thrashed yesterday he was actually out on the field himself getting thrashed <laughs> oh, <no. laughs> tough day in the office <laughs> it <Wow>. really was <laughs> it was a bad day for football in my house yesterday oh well yeah. well actually in those days uh, one of the subjects you touched on earlier is about having uh, thinking designers problem solvers and the agency that mark worked at during that period when we played football together was jwt uh, in its pre-WPP days, I'm, I'm pretty sure it was, but that, that is what they were renowned for. It yeah. was coming up with big ideas and like I think art director, copywriter teams who would just brainstorm. And the agency that you mentioned that you worked for, was, was it HHCL? HHCL, uh, yeah. Amazing agency. And they were just, they just won all sorts of awards, didn't they? And again, thinking their way through and coming up with these great ideas, it's I miss that because you don't see it quite as often yeah. now as you did then. So I think yeah. it's more more financial issues are at play. Mm. Um, but I've got a last question. Uh, what, what is one of life's complexities that you would like to see made simpler? <sighs> I am going to have to say, I'm going to have to hang this around Design for Planet which is that lots of people want to do the right thing, but don't always quite know how to. And I actually think that we've really got to get better across the whole country, you know, nationally and indeed globally, of really actually at any given time saying, okay, everyone, we're going to do this now. You know, either this month, this six months, this year, let's all make this change. So I think there's ways, and again, this kind of comes back to chunking the problem and more communication around it, because I think that when people feel they're part of a movement and everyone's kind of doing something at the same time, there's a real impetus to do it. So I actually think there's some really high level structuring. I and I tell you who, um, a guy called Nigel Topping, who was given a, this particular leading role for COP26, and he's actually distilled down. Uh, in fact, I've got it in my book here somewhere. Let me just quickly tell you what his three things are. <laughs> he 
he speaks about it as the three rules for a zero carbon world. Harness ambition loops, which are like, let's know what those are and, and celebrate them when we hit them. Set exponential goals and celebrate them when we hit them. And let's have shared action pathways. They're the three things. And so I think trying to simplify the biggest challenge of our era as much as one can into some yeah. specific actions in a specific time frame would be a really smart thing to do. Wow. That is one of life's big complexities that needs to be oh, made yeah. simpler. I mean that yeah, I mean that's spot on. Yeah, well, that was uh that's far too clever for Phil and I. It's far <laughs> above our pay grade. Yeah, yeah. We're, we're back on things like Richard Attenborough in the lift. Uh, we can handle that, can't we? Yeah, yeah, that's right. That's about as much as we can handle. Yeah, but once you went past that question, then that was it. We were screwed. Really. <laughs> when, it, when it comes to the brains department, we were done. <laughs> but, but Minnie, that was absolutely brilliant. Thank you so much for sharing the insights on so many different topics. I know we've fired lots of different questions at you, but yeah, really, really interesting. Thank you so much. Oh, a pleasure. Really yeah. good to chat to you. Go and have a ride on that Fergie tractor now. It looks like it's quite a nice day. Are you at home? No, I'm not. I'm in work, home? unfortunately. Oh, you're in work. In that case, forget what I just said. Lovely to see you, Minnie. And you, Dan. Yeah, take care, everyone. Thank you for listening. Brilliant to see you. All right. Bye. We hope you've enjoyed this episode as much as we did. So please do share it and kindly leave us a review. It really does mean so much to us. Thanks and have a great week.